0: And if you want to join in on the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode or any other, please join the Babel Conference, our listeners' group on Facebook. Just type Babel, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there.
1: This is Phyllis Strong, writer-producer on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Warp 5 on Trek FM. trip. Ready when you are. Prepare for warp. Course laid in, sir. Request permission
2: to get underway. Let's go.
0: Welcome, Boomers, to another episode of Warp 5. I'm your host, Brandon Shea Mutella, and joining me today is the ever-wonderful, ever-peachy, ever-fuzzy Patrick Devlin. How are you doing, Patrick?
2: I'm doing great. I've, I've just been working out a little bit of my uh, my hand movements and parrying and stuff, but other than that, I'm pretty good. How are you?
0: I am doing very, very good. I am, uh, I am very happy to be here tonight. I've been looking forward to this all day today. Awesome. Uh, joining us as well is the wonderful, amazing Brandy jacola?
1: Oh, I only get two adjectives, huh? That's fine.
0: I wasted them all on Patrick.
1: Yeah, that's... Oh, wasted. Ouch. (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) I'm used to it. Well, it's okay, because I am acquiring a skill through years of study and practice, which is actually what Kung Fu means.
0: Excellent. Right on.
2: Hint, hint, wink, wink.
1: No, it's true.
0: <laughs> yeah. We're jumping into our next episode of Movie Night. And tonight, we're not watching a movie. We're watching a TV show. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are watching Kung Fu. And we'll talk a little bit about why we're doing this episode shortly. But first, we're going to jump and we're going to talk a little bit about comments that we've received on some recent episodes in the Babel Conference. So, again, if you guys want to hear your comments right out on the show, please be sure to go to the Babel Conference. Click Join. Uh there's two questions you gotta answer. Please answer them so that we know you're not a robot. because okay? we don't serve your kind here. And
1: <laughs> oh, uh <laughs> and uh crossing racist.
2: the beams. Yeah What's that? Was that? A, that was a stream crossing.
1: I was <laughs> just saying
0: racist. <laughs> Is it racist when they're
2: machines? Robophobic. Hey,
0: Robophobic.
1: they have intelligence. They're artificial intelligence.
0: Artificial.
2: Yeah, they they would have won the case in Star Trek World.
0: They would have, I guess. The um Anywho, we, before we uh, get into an ethical debate on the uh, on whether or not robots in the Star Wars universe are real and alive and individuals, we will talk about our Babel Conference comments. Again, so yeah, so we know you're not a robot. Answer the questions, then we'll let you right in. Patrick, what are people saying about us?
2: So on Thorn in My Thigh, uh, which is episode 144 of Warp 5.
0: That was the one where we compared uh, Judgment with Star Trek Six with Zach Moore of yes, Standard Orbit. Yes, yes.
2: Yes, there was a, there was a point that they that Zach Moore wanted to know your opinions on this week's guest, and and then you made some nice comments to him, but <laughs> cheap fan service. Uh, but anyway, but in that the more important part is Chris Hill wrote the thing I love about you guys is that you always seem to point out something I have missed. I've been a, lo- a lifelong Trekkie, so it's always nice finding something new t- to me in the series I love. Case in point, when I watched Judgment, I was like, oh, cool, nice throwback to to six. Uh, gun to my head, pick one favorite TOS movie, but didn't think how closely t- how closely the two were. Thanks again for that. So, Yeah, excellent. Yeah, he pointed, you know, that's kind of what the whole episode was about, right? Just pointing out how closely tied they were or were not.
0: Yeah, and a lot of people, they don't, maybe don't catch that. Like, if you just, if you watch them far apart, but if you watch them close together, you really see just how close they are and how similar they are.
2: Yeah, I, I had never noticed it until we had done that, so... I'm, I'm I'm with Chris,
1: or in my case, how different they are.
2: <laughs>
0: yes. or how different they still are, even <laughs> still afterwards. Patrick <laughs> yes.
2: Carlin says in a in the post series book, Duras has a son named Gerard. Uh, so the fa- uh, familiar family names continue. Great,
0: Patrick. He is an amazing <laughs> wealth of knowledge when it comes to uh, the books. Brandon, what are you laughing at?
1: I'm la- laughing at Gerard. <laughs>
0: Gerard why are you laughing at Gerard?
1: Just mix it sounds like you know an an obnoxious nickname for like a rap star or something I
0: don't... see I'm picturing he's like on on uh Chronos he's like the representative for Targ
2: subway Ger- <laughs> You see I, that's that, that's where I would have went with it not not obnoxious rapper but guy who lost lots of weight
1: <laughs> I'm sorry, I guess I was thinking Jarul Jarrod.
0: Gerard <laughs> or, or Jared Gerard
1: right <laughs> uh, I Patrick didn't think was... of that that's good guys that's good
2: so good Patrick job. also said Rorapenthe is destroyed uh, by the Borg in the Destiny trilogy so pronunciation Spoilers. is kind of moot now <laughs> when one of Martok's aides reports to him that the Borg are laying siege to it he replies who cares about Rorapenthe
0: who cares about Rorapenthe it's cold there it's like Canada
2: yeah brutal just
0: brutal it's brutal it's brutal uh,
2: Justin Ozer says, I'm with Brandy on this one. I really enjoy Judgment and Enterprise, uh, and Enterprise's take on the story. I've always been aware of the similarities to Star Trek VI, but that doesn't matter to me, as I think uh, J.G. Hertzler does an excellent job, and I just enjoy the start, it start to finish.
0: Mm-hmm. And... He does a really good job, but yeah. yeah I just and... see Martok.
1: No one's talking about his performance in the beginning of the Augment trilogy, as yet another different Klingon.
0: Yeah, we'll be getting to that shortly.
1: <laughs> Everybody's we got, like, we got to continue Wait, on. What? What? What?
0: We got to continue on with our uh, our season four retrospective here right away. We got a couple episodes in the can. I think maybe maybe episode one fifty one. We'll get back to that. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, we got to so get go back
2: on. to that. Yeah, but that—that's pretty. Much, I mean, all the other comments were, you know, niceties.
0: Niceties, excellent. Well, thanks, guys, so much. We really appreciate your feedback. Well, let's jump into today's episode. Kung Fu. Do you hear the grasshopper? Nope. I don't you hear, hear the my own heartbeat.
1: Nope. Do you? Yeah.
0: Oh man, I do that, but that's like after I walk up a flight of stairs.
2: <laughs> just one. <laughs>
0: <So> just one.
1: <laughs> you sound like me.
0: Anyways, so, for we've, we're continuing with our Movie Night series, and in the episode, The Catwalk, right near the end of the episode, they are actually watching an episode of Kung Fu. Now, the interesting thing about this is, Kung Fu is just a TV show, and when we were getting prepared for this, and I was doing some research, I was under the impression that Kung Fu was based on a movie, that the TV show was based on a movie, but it's not. It's actually just a TV show, and so... I was a little disappointed. I'm like, I don't want to just watch one episode of a show. So we decided we were going to watch the pilot episode as well, which is a little bit of a longer, it's a 75-minute episode. So we uh, we watched the pilot episode. Now, the interesting thing is, uh, Tapal makes a reference to Sheriff Boggs in the episode. So the episode that she's referring to is The Tide, which is what we'll also talk about tonight. However... The clip that they show is not from the episode "The Tide," and Memory Alpha doesn't have which episode that actual clip is from. So, if anybody else actually happens to know what the clip, what episode the clip is from, that'll be neat, and we can talk about it on a on a future episode in passing. But we won't go back and watch another episode. We've chosen these two here, and most of us have watched everything for tonight. Um, <laughs> so most of us are prepared. It's
2: like two thirds.
0: Two thirds. Two out of three. Uh, So we're going to start off, I'm going to ask you guys first, Brandy, what's your history of Kung Fu? Did you ever watch the show Kung Fu?
1: I did. It was one of those things that went into syndication and it seemed like it was always on, (laughs) kind of Mm -hmm. like Star Trek, but not. But no, I really liked it because uh, it was more intellectual, I guess, than other things of its time. And there was... There was always this thing of, oh, no, we want nonstop action, but that's not what the show is about because, you know, it's about keeping from fighting instead of actually fighting. Mm-hmm. That's That was the whole point of all of his lessons is, yes, you can kick somebody's butt, but you should live in a way that you shouldn't have to. So it's uh, it's got a lot of interesting, true lessons from the... Shaolin monk culture and probably more stuff that Dave would know more about than I do but Mm -hmm. it's in fact he complained about not seeing the panther style when they were talking about all the different animal styles he's like why did they leave out panther and I was like oh golly I don't know (laughs) sweetie they showed so many you're lucky you saw as many as you did so because Mm -hmm. they really I really enjoyed that because a lot of what they showed and they even so, showed some tai chi moves which most people probably wouldn't recognize but yeah I enjoyed the show when I was a kid I appreciated it more as an adult because mm-hmm. now I have a lifetime worth of lessons that uh that I can actually understand and interpret and apply to my own life so mm-hmm.
0: Patrick what do, you, what do you what's your history with kung
2: fu So no um my this is another show that my dad got me into when I was young and then we watched the legend, uh, Kung Fu The Legend Continues as well. So we watched anything with the word Kung Fu in it, really, mm-hmm. growing up. But I also studied karate, taekwondo, winchung, do gracie Jiu-Jitsu, kali, and Muay Thai. Mm-hmm. So um, none of those, actually, except for Do and winchung, are Kung Fu styles. But they all were, everything except for the karate and the taekwondo were based off of the lessons of kung fu so a lot of what they talk about in the pilot actually is stuff you learn i learned in a dojo over the Mm -hmm. years about you know um all life is precious we'll get into it later but you know the idea is to use as little force as possible to win a fight not at the most force and then work your way backwards
0: right yeah as for the show itself like i've actually never watched it this is the first time i've actually ever seen anything kung fu um yeah, I had a, a teacher, when I was in high school, grade 9 or something like that, there was this teacher that, you know, we were friends with, we chatted and whatnot, and she lived out of town, we, this is up when we were living in La Ronge, and she didn't have cable, so we, we became friends talking over Star Trek, but she also liked Kung Fu, and so I would record for her, Kung Fu The Legend Continues, and fill it up with a VHS tape and give it to her. So I knew about the show, but I never actually watched it, and... So that's that's where my idea came from. I thought it was the movie was kung fu and then the TV show was kung fu the legend continues. But uh so I was surprised to learn that no there was an original show and this the kung fu the legend continues was like a spin-off show that was later on. Um so it was interesting to jump into this for my first time and watch it for the very first time and I'm glad that we started with the pilot movie because it was really interesting. Uh, now just a general summary of the pilot episode before we get too far. So, it, it it's told kind of in flashbacks, where you know this this guy, Kane, and I'm not going to pronounce his name. Brandy, do you know his full name?
1: Uh, Quai Chong.
0: Quai Chong Kane. Um, he it it tells in flashbacks the story of him getting into this uh, kung fu monk temple and. He he grows up in it, he learns his lessons, and he's got quite significant knowledge from his father, uh, who's taught him some of the ways already, and taught him some valuable life lessons. Uh, but the outside story is, after he's learned all he needs to learn, he goes out, he's walking the earth, and he ends up in the States, I guess, and uh, and he gets a job working on a railroad and you know i mean even in canada we know that a lot of the railroads were made with you know chinese immigrants and a lot of lives were lost and so while he's working on this railroad people die people are giving them the advice to to not go into this one area because there's dangerous ground ahead and the the people that are creating the rail decide to uh, disregard that information and more people end up dying and and so he ends up kind of on the run because they're gonna they're gonna kill him and he comes back kind of for, for just justice and he's he's also being tracked by these chinese bounty hunters kind of because they want to get him because in the past he killed a nephew of a royal family member the emperor the, emperor's, the nephew.
1: emperor's nephew
0: is that a fair summary of the pilot episode
1: For the most part, but the whole reason he fled to America is because he was a wanted man, and he couldn't stay in Asia, went as far as he could.
0: So, the first thing that I want to talk about this episode, which I found really interesting, is the editing style of the episode. Have you guys seen Easy Rider?
1: A long time ago.
0: Okay, so Easy Rider, that's the one with Dennis Hopper in it, right, on the motorcycles? Yeah. Yeah, like... So that had a really interesting editing technique that was used where when they were cutting from one scene to the next, they would chop it up. So you, rather than cutting directly like most movies, you'd be in like, we'll call it scene one and scene two. You'd go scene one and then it rapidly went scene two, scene one, scene two, scene one, scene two. And smash it was cuts. like this, is that what the smash cut? So like this is the movie that invented smash cuts and they used a lot of that. In this kung fu, which I thought was really interesting, especially for television, yeah, and they they did continue that in the episode that we watched as well. So, the first thing that really stood out for me was the editing of the show and the pacing of the show as well. What, did you guys notice anything in particular about that, Patrick?
2: That's no, um, I, I'm. That's not the kind of things I usually pick up on in watching uh, mm-hmm. these these types of shows. I guess now that you say it, yeah, I remember it cutting back and forth quickly. Uh the story moved fairly fast and I felt like the the main the the current timeline story was actually moving a little quicker than the flashbacks were. Mm-hmm. If that makes Brandy's? sense.
1: Yeah, uh immediately we noticed the smash cuts. Dave watched it with me, of course. And uh I didn't know that's what they were called until he said that. <laughs> okay. But it, he says, usually they would go with a dissolve. And I said, yeah, but this isn't just any TV show. Obviously, they were breaking new ground with that because that wasn't really a style that was used a lot during that time of, in television. It was the dissolve, mm-hmm. you know, and which I never really cared for. I like the intensity of the smash cuts because mm-hmm. uh, it's it's more... It's supposed to be jarring because, you know, all all this opening sequence is him walking through a desert, which apparently America has some really intense deserts that look like the Sahara. So <laughs> I didn't know that there were sand dunes, you know? <laughs>
0: yeah, I guess. Where would that be? Where do you think that might be? Like near in Nevada? Because so? this, again, this is in the 1800s. Yeah. I'm taking it, right? Like this is not present time. This is not like 1970s... Um, whatchamacallit, call it, like nineteen seventies uh time frame.
1: Yeah. So it's it's possible, but it de- it depends on where they are because it seems like they were close to California. I could be wrong. But it's we tend to have more brush deserts around here rather than sand dunes. Now I'm not saying mm-hmm. that there can't be sand dunes. And maybe there were back in that time period and I just don't know that enough about you know western american history so but i just thought that was and just like this just doesn't look like america <laughs> so mm-hmm. but that's just me that's just me yeah
0: i was a little confused at first as to where he was but so once i've realized it was in the us because he pulls up into this little one horse town and gets a drink at the bar and whatnot i'm like okay maybe it's nevada or something like that cuz i don't i don't know what it, what the terrain of the central united states looks like so yeah, if anybody could tell us if there's a massive desert in the States
2: somewhere.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean. Well, there are deserts, but they're not like sand dune deserts. Right. Yeah,
2: the way I saw it, I saw it as always being in America because I, I looked at it as they were doing the Transcontinental Railroad, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So this would have to be somewhere in the 1860s, which is like 1869 is when they drove the, the gold spike
1: mm-hmm. to
2: finish that first Transcontinental Railroad. So you figure it. Happened you know, here. Utah, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you figure that had to be somewhere in that, that range, right? Yeah. So I guess, yeah, I don't think we do have sand dunes like that anywhere here in the States, but I didn't really look at that because I, I already was concerning it that way because I knew the railroad was part of this story.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. and I knew I knew before, because I'd seen the series as a kid, I knew he was in America. but that, I, But as an too. adult, I'm just going, wait a minute now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember... They sandwich. really don't
2: concern themselves with those kind of facts, though. <laughs> no, no. It,
1: it's okay. I'll forgive it because it it just, you know, it just is there for, what's the word I'm looking for here? For ex- expressing a certain feeling of him being a man alone in the desert. Kind of like Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Wasn't he tempted by the devil, you know? He's... In the desert, tempted by the devil? Mm-hmm. Am, I, yep. am I remembering incorrectly? So, yeah. And then Moses and his people got to wander in the desert for 40 years. Anyway, yeah, I was raised Mormon. Anyway, <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, that's one of those things that I just, I'm just like creative license. It's a storytelling thing. It's fine.
0: So he goes into this bar and he orders a glass of water. It's really noisy in this bar. And as he enters, there's this Chinese man like looking at him. He's sitting on a cart waiting for somebody. And when he goes in, he gets his water. And I gotta ask, what the heck did he put in that drink? Kool Aid. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, is that? I I don't think that's right. I'm like, you order a drink of water. You're like, the water's free. But I'm just gonna put my Kool Aid in and make a drink. What do you think that was?
2: Well, he was just way ahead of his time with these little single serve water packets. Okay, yeah, it was Crystal yeah. Light. Right, right. Crystal light. Or Kool-Aid. I have Kool-Aid ones upstairs.
1: Well, he probably wouldn't want all that sugar, so he'd probably go with crystal light. (laughs)
0: Okay. Anywho, that's kind of irrelevant to the plot. But um, while he's there, so this Chinese person comes to the door, and I'm sorry I don't know all the characters' names, but uh, comes to the door, and he's going to warn him. uh, But there's this big, you know, chest-pounding white dude who says, get out of here, we don't allow your slant eyes in here, and, you know, all of our politically incorrect terms that they were using back in the 1860s and and then he turns to Kane and says you know I can I can sense a Chinese person anywhere and you're one of them aren't you and do you speak English and he's being really rude and, and he tries to attack him but little does he know that Kane is the master of the Kung Fu and makes a fool of him but this is a
2: great scene because he actually stops him with the beer glass mm-hmm. does he even
0: spill his drink that's what's amazing yeah it? right <laughs>
2: So he actually puts the beer glass right to the guy's chest, and as the guy tries to push it out of the way, he ends up spinning himself around almost like a top. You know, which is like the first look we have of him using. They go into it deeper in a few scenes, but this is the first uh, sign we have of using their motion, their momentum, to harm Mm -hmm. themselves and not exert too much emphasis. You know, um, that's a terrible word to exert too much energy yourself. Mm -hmm.
1: That's a huge tenet of Tai Chi.
2: Mm-hmm. Most, uh, Almost every Kung Fu in general. Uh, it's the biggest thing in Wing Chun as well. That's why you have the, the wooden Wing Chun dummies. It's, it's mm-hmm. all for hand motions and for using your... You're going to do the most damage to yourself mm-hmm. if I'm doing it correctly. And I'm not going to really have to touch you. In fact, I can win a fight without throwing a punch.
0: Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so... This, this Chinese person that he met gets him a job working on the rails with him, so uh, the next thing we have is they're, is they're meeting the railroad foreman, and they start working on the rails, and we find out that he's kind of different than everybody else, because he's not talking very much, he's very quiet, and a couple other people are asking him, why don't you say anything, you're weird, and we learn, you know, he's got this these messages where he's like, you know, if I don't have anything to say, I'm not going to waste my breath, because... It's worse than saying nothing is is better than saying something that's unimportant. Basically, is what he says. So, and uh, the train com- or a, a cart comes with mail, and uh, one of the boxes falls off. He catches it, and they see these burn marks on his arm, and they realize that these burn marks are something special. They indicate that he's basically a a graduate of this of this uh, what do you want to call it he's Tai a, Chi school. He's a Shaolin Kung Fu monk. Yeah. Shaolin monk. Only okay. Shaolin
1: monks have those marks because of the cauldron of fire.
0: Cauldron of fire. So, is it, do you think this is a real thing? Like, I don't know much it about this culture. It
1: absolutely is a real is thing. Is it? Yes. I don't know. It's absolutely <laughs> it, a real um, thing.
2: Yeah. It also, ironically, it also uh, the Shaolin monks. They they they've such they've reached farther. Their influence has reached much farther than than most people realize, because it's it's most. Kung fu movies, people call karate movies, but kung fu and karate are completely different. Most kung fu movies are based on legends of Shaolin monks, but also they actually, it's funny you brought in um, that Gerard sounds like rap because the Shaolin monks were what, the movies about them were what brought the Wu-Tang Clan, the rap group together in the first place. They were actually two groups, one in Staten Island and one in Brooklyn-ish, that loved old Shaolin monk movies. And then they started rapping, and then everything that they did was to further use that as their like mantra.
1: It all ties together. Wow! <laughs> Who knew Gerard would come to play? He did. I, I in knew this it when discussion. I said it. <laughs> You're so good. He
2: was doing kung fu in the back of a shop sandwich. Yeah, a sandwich shop.
0: Okay, so then after this, so we're getting a lot of flashbacks back and forth of him as a youth, and and you know he makes some of the better decisions out of the other youth in his group. You know, uh, there's an example of where it's raining, and rather than running and hiding from the rain, he he stays and you know withstands the rain. So they let him in, and and uh, they offer the tea, but he decides to wait to drink the tea until the elder monk drinks the tea, and that's another test to pass. And and they say, you know, you're not fully Chinese, but you're the you're the first. There's a first time for everything. We've never let a person in before who's not fully Chinese, um, so. But there's a first time for everything, so they let him in. So these people are a lot more cultured than the Vulcans, apparently, as we learn in uh, Star Trek <laughs> Discovery. But
2: uh, their, their Tai Chi is better as well. Their Tai
0: Chi is better than the than the <laughs> Because the, the neat pinch. thing about the cause is it's all about protecting your neck, right? Like, you know, like, that's kind of the neat thing, because you can get to Vulcan with the neck pinch, right?
1: Oh, so. I was thinking, are they afraid of vampires? No, I knew what you were
0: talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if Vulcans... See, would would there be a Vulcan vampire? Because, like, that's drinking blood, and they're vegetarians.
1: Ew. Yeah,
2: it would have to be a separate race.
1: Yeah, but if they were maybe vampires, the Romulan they were, vampires, they'd no, long, they'd no longer be vampires. You know, they'd maybe be dead at that point. The Romulan so, vampires, all bets off.
2: Vulcpires. <laughs> Volkpires.
1: Vulc- Vulc yes, that's the title of the episode right there. Vulcpires. Spell it.
2: And we're off the rails. <laughs> so to get us back on the rails here, the railroad? where do we go from here?
1: The railroad rails. Right. Oh,
2: but no. So you brought up a good <laughs> point because you said he's the first not completely chinese person and there's a first time for everything right but that's the part you actually missed it's kind of a big part of this story is that he's not chinese you know he's not what they're used to training
1: yeah he just was a respectful kid and that respect got him you know in it got him in the door it kept him in and uh yeah He's uh, he was an interesting kid. When we when we get to the middle bit where he's like older, that's of course Keith Carradine, which is uh, David's son. So of course you know they stick him in there when they could. So,
0: oh, was that who that was? Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, because I'm like, he, boy, that kid looks. He's a good looking choice for him. he's yeah, kind he, like him. So. He's his son. That's funny. Yep. Um yeah, so the studies continue. Um and then we we go back to the main storyline and uh I try to remember what happens next after this. So, after this is the
1: uh well, this, the scientist is, is I'm sorry, go ahead.
2: Well, during this during this part, I believe this is when the training part they show you. Um I wish I would have wrote it down now, but he goes through all the steps on you don't kill you do this, you don't, you know, and he tells you he keeps saying you only go to the next set of the of Of aggression if the first one doesn't succeed at all so you're trying never to get to kill because all life is valuable which is a major major part of kung fu training
1: indeed what's what's happening in the quote-unquote present uh, is the scientists their scientists is warning them not to blast a tunnel in that mountain because there's pockets of methane gas and blasting them will ignite the gas and cause additional explosions and kill a freak load of people. So, and they don't want to hear that because, you know, that's going to cost them time. It's going to cost them money. And they don't want to do any of that. And they don't care about their workers. They're expendable because they're not real people.
2: Right, so the only part of this I don't believe in, in that whole part of the story is that they even had a scientist say, don't do it. <laughs> because, seriously, they really didn't care in, in the 1860s. They did not care how many people died building that transcontinental railroad.
1: And yeah, you, but there it, had to have been people who did, that tried to fight for the rights of the people that were doing the work. and I think only the yeah. workers. No, not necessarily. Not necessarily. We weren't there. But I I find it difficult to believe that there wasn't some white boy somewhere who was trying to, trying to say this is a waste of life and don't do that. But.
2: It's possible, but I, I've done extensive study in labor, and I don't know of one story for that scenario. And you had the other—because you, you had the other way coming. You had the Irish coming from the east, going west, and you had the Chinese going from the west to the east— and both were pretty much considered expendable by the the railroad company
0: right yeah that's a history like in canada we know well is is that a lot of you know chinese workers and stuff their lives were sacrificed for the rail like unsafe work conditions you know patrick you and i are in unions and we work in i don't i work in an office but i also work in a place that builds pipe and you know so safety's a very strong concerning factor and i mean like these are the reasons that unions have come around you know to protect the workers when they were taken advantage of by their employers
2: yeah and it was it was a huge hugely common thing in the 1800s because we didn't see unions really start to pop up till about this time you know in history it was about the 1870s that they started in the mines so it didn't trickle into the railroad till much later
1: Yeah. Well, and and with with the scientist, um, you know, I'm willing to forgive it as a plot device, because it's one way to, again, demonstrate how little regard they had for the Chinese people to really put a fine point on it. And then when he said that he was going to send his report to other people, oh, an accident happens. So they're not above killing their own Right. No. 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 I. I
2: completely. Um, it's I just to the demonstrate they're despicable. Yeah. No. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't make the distinction because I don't. I don't like the plot point. I'm I completely okay with it being there. I just. I just don't think it really happened. Um, in real life. But this isn't real life. It's a TV show. And yes, it does show just how bad they are. That even if there was somebody fighting for the rights of the union workers, what the non-union workers at that point, you know, the the workers, the railroad workers. That they would just off them, which in the late 1800s is exactly what had happened time and time again. I had family members that that went that way so Mm -hmm. for the coal mines in Pennsylvania. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because it's it's something out of history, right? And so here he is, and he's trying to fight for these people while he's there. He's trying to, you know, you've got this worker who's saying it's not safe, you shouldn't go there. They disregard the information, they go ahead anyways, and this accident happens, this explosion happens and people die. So they gotta bury they gotta bury the dead of these people like right in the middle of nowhere.
2: Right, which is probably the most egregious part of this whole story, right? They don't even get a proper burial out of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I do construction, we understand that there is a chance that something bad will happen. We try and take every precaution to make sure it doesn't anymore. But at least I you know, my family gets to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. These yeah. people, they were just left. Wherever they died, they were left, and they just moved on, building the railroad. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, that plays and a big part into why the rest of this movie, pans, the, the TV plot, pans out the way it does as it, as it moves forward. And it actually plays a massive role in the very final scene of this plot.
1: Most of their families probably never knew what happened to them. Mm-hmm. They probably, no, probably had not. figured out they were dead, but how, they wouldn't know where to look. And so those families just live with that for the rest of their lives. And that is a horrible, disrespectful thing to do.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So after this, um, there's a, a fellow Chinese person who realizes that, that, uh, Kane must be the guy who's on the run, uh, and turns him into his foreman, uh, basically for a hot meal and they, they, they chain up Kane. They, they put him under arrest. They contact the Chinese bounty hunters to come and get him. And, you know, that doesn't go well. Kane escapes and ends up on the run. And, you know, because he's, he's trained and he's knowledgeable, he's able to survive on his own. They think he's going to die because he's had no water or anything. And here he is picking roots and stuff and eating them and, and surviving and creates himself a shelter and whatnot. And, um, I, I got to say, I was really surprised that that one security guard for the foreman was able to find his hiding area. That really surprised me as a plot point.
1: Yeah. Because, you
0: know, basically he built this rug out of grass and stuff, dug a hole and covered it up so that the hole was covered. And I'm like, there's no way anybody could see that. And they're like, oh, he found it.
2: It was a little ridiculous, but they had to move the story forward, I guess. Mm-hmm. maybe just, if
1: one of them stepped on the edge of it, cause they would know that it was hollow underneath if they stepped right. on it. So I'm going to go with that. I'm going to retcon that in my brain that one of them accidentally stepped on it. And that's how they figured out that it was not ground.
0: Right. Cause he was like able to just, Oh wait, this shouldn't be here and walks up to this random grass in the middle <laughs> of the desert. Basically, <laughs> you know, not in the, actually this is in the desert. This is actually one thing we haven't mentioned yet is this is all done and filmed in uh where they filmed arena
1: oh right for star trek right? right what are those
0: uh, what are those rocks called uh those star trek rocks that are in all the episodes this is so
2: bad because <laughs> i just watched the big bang theory where they stop and take photos at this so i should know what this is called
0: Anyway, everybody knows what i'm talking about those angled rocks and uh where they filmed the gorn and Alternative Factor and Shore Leave and all those wonderful we episodes. It's
1: somewhere in, this episode. somewhere in California.
0: Somewhere um, in California. So they, ca- they capture him again because they say, look, you got to basically surrender yourself or we're going to kill this friend of yours who's the, the Chinese guy who got him the job in the first place. So he comes back and uh, he ends up having to he ends up having to fight these Chinese bounty hunters again. So he does this Kung Fu session with one of these Chinese bounty hunters and that's basically how the episode ends. He right. wins the battle and...
2: Well, no, 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 no. Actually, so he fights the guy. The guy throws Chinese stars at him, right? That's pretty cool. That's, that's
1: cheating. Uh, yeah, Taking it... Chinese stars into a fist fight? That is not yeah, okay.
2: All fair and true love in war, and <laughs> no, war. No, 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 no. That is uh, way against the rules. So, But he wins the fight, right? So he wins that fight. Everyone's amazed. And then the, the, the part that I like the most is he sets the railroad on fire.
1: Mm, Quite yes. literally. So
2: figuratively, he set the railroad on fire. Cause you see the, the foreman and those guys looking, over. So they're already, you know, that kind of on fire. They're all, gonna, you know, they're gonna be talking and go, no, oh, don't mess with that guy. He just killed a, you know, Chinese kung fu assassin. And then, and then he literally sets the railroad on fire because they were building and, and sacrificing lives of people he cared about for little to nothing, no gain whatsoever.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was interesting, because it's like, he's not going to stop it, right? He's just, I i, I don't know what's going to happen after this, because they, they might still go straight through.
1: Yeah, well, it was, if nothing else, symbolic. Mm-hmm. It's like, here's what I think of you and your stinking railroad. <laughs> yeah, so
0: he pours a bunch of gas from the kerosene lamp and sets it on fire and...
1: Yeah. And the thing that I'm thinking is, okay. now all of those workers are going to have to tear down that part of the railroad and build it again.
2: That's okay. So he's just created
1: more work for them. Job security. Yeah. Maybe maybe they just unionized and and do the work themselves. And so now, you know, grizzled old guys out of it. You know, he's he's not in charge anymore. They've got him under lockdown in a in his little tent hut thing. So they can do what they want. The point, and yeah, I,
2: maybe, but the, po- the point is he got his revenge on that bit of yeah. track to prove yeah. his point that he's kind of pissed off and he's not going to deal with being turned in or any of these other things. Because even when he had the conversation with the guy who turned to me, he's like, uh, a real a real brother wouldn't turn you in for a hot meal. And he, the guy looked at him you're worth a, a lot more than a hot meal. I
1: you think know, you can and, sell your soul for a bowl of rice. That's what it was.
2: So, Thank you. And, uh, but he's like, you're worth more than a bowl of rice, but he wasn't really right. Like the guy didn't get paid much more than that. He didn't get some great.
1: Yeah. But that's not who said that. That was the bounty hunters, the head of the bounty hunters that came to get him. The Chinese guys on horseback, the lead one that he fought was the one who said that.
2: Right. Okay. Cause if they bring him back, he's worth a lot for them.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay. Because he's a fellow monk, this yep, leader correct. of the he's Bounty Hunter. He's also hunters. a Shallan monk. Right. Because he shows his arms. And so we'll talk about the scene and how they show at the end how they get these burns on their arms. And when they're done, it's like a rite of passage. In order to leave the building, you got to lift this, this basically fire pit with your arms. And, you know, cut out of the fire pit are, you know, the shape of a dragon and a tiger. Mm-hmm. And so you pick it up with your arms, not your hands. And by picking it up, you lift it up and move it over, and that allows the door to be open. But that also burns your, burns your forearms, as like a last rite of passage, I guess. Yep. So that's pretty intense.
1: <laughs> yep. We were waiting for that because you know once we saw his arms, we're like, oh yes, he is a Shaolin monk. Because we weren't completely sure. Um, well, I don't think Dave really watched a lot of kung fu when he was a kid, but it was it was one of those things where like a lot of these teachings could belong to many different disciplines in the martial arts but when when we saw that the burns were like oh yeah he's definitely a Shaolin monk and and I would just like to point out that James Hong was the snitch that turned him in and James Hong also appears as a different character in a flashback in The Tide because James yes, he Hong does. is everywhere
0: well, yeah, it's like in Canada, American. when they get aboriginal people, they get all the same aboriginal actors, like the famous ones. And, and he's the Chinese face that you see everywhere in American television when they need a Chinese, you know, an older Chinese man, right? They get him. You know, he's in Big Trouble in Little China. and He's in X-Files, yes, you know.
1: Big Trouble in Little China. One of my favorite movies. <laughs> Such a great movie.
0: Yeah, he's kind of all over. So.
1: Yeah, still kicking that guy, too. Yeah. You came to Salt Lake Comic Con.
0: <laughs> I thought this pilot was excellent. I really enjoyed it, and it actually makes me want to check out more of this show. Right. You know, and I think I might want to start. I might start watching this. I mean, there's only three seasons. You know, they're on iTunes for 14.99 Canadian. That's like what, like two bucks American or something. No, like that.
1: that's more like 24.95 oh, oh, oh. American.
0: Wow. <laughs> but- no, the opposite. So <laughs> it, it'd be about ten bucks American. Actually, is what it yeah, would be for
1: this. Yeah, system. but it, that's $10. not what it costs here.
2: No, no, yeah. The exchange rate would be great, but we don't get it for your price. No, we, we don't. Oh,
1: it's twenty four ninety five a season here. <laughs> if you do it digitally. Oh, wow. Right. Yeah,
0: that's yeah. So we get it on. For so cheap I have to buy Canada it from
2: right Canada, now. so I can pay less. Yeah.
1: yeah, or just I'm just gonna buy. I could buy the the Blu-ray set and get it all that we way. For, in for mm-hmm. like twenty
2: five or thirty, yeah. I think, for the Blu-ray set combined. Much. But mm-hmm. yeah, But the unfortunate
0: thing is, it's been letterboxed. You know, they they letterboxed it so that. They cut the top and bottom off, so it'll fill your screen. Boo. Four by three forever. Okay. I don't know. I like. I'm a purist. Presented well, how it was originally presented.
1: Yeah, that's the, well, that's fine. You don't have to have it in letterbox format to watch it on current TVs. Just leave it in the format, but clean it up and make it pretty. You know, do a nice transfer for Blu-ray. And we're fine. I don't need the whole exactly. letterbox thing.
0: Well, that's what they did on this. Like they 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 didn't leave it in four by three. They they cropped the top and bottom, and so they could present it in sixteen by nine. Did is that like I bought it from iTunes, the pilot episode, and that's how it is on iTunes. So, is that when you guys watch it? Was it sixteen by nine or was it four x three? it was sixteen
2: by nine, but I didn't I didn't get it off iTunes. I got it I got it somewhere else.
0: Yeah. I was yours sixteen?
1: Um, mine was sixteen by nine, but I really didn't think yeah. about it. I didn't feel to me like anything was missing, so I guess mm-hmm. they did a really good job of what they cut off. Oh,
0: good, right on. Um, so, what would you guys give the rating of this pilot here, Patrick?
2: I love this uh, show. I love the pilot. I'd give. I'd give it. Well, what are our rating scale? Are we doing? Stars? You could do Whatever however want. you want. Okay, I'm giving it four point seven five stars. <laughs>
1: Four point seven five. Four point seven five. I'm gonna give this uh, five out of five James Hongs.
0: Five out of five James Hongs. Excellent, right on. And I'll give it uh, I thought I thought this was really good and uh, I'm gonna give it uh, four and a half out of five pinches of Kool-Aid in my water at the bar.
1: <laughs> so
2: if I, knew we were doing, I would have done Win Chung Dummies. Win chung dummies. So four, four, four and three quarter win chung dummies.
0: Right on. Well, <laughs> We'll move on and we'll talk briefly about the episode The Tide. Right, so again, the, the clip that they showed is not from The Tide because it showed some guy getting shot and falling off a roof. But the description that DePaul gave when they're talking about Sheriff Boggs is from the episode The Tide. So basically what happens in this episode is uh, Kane is walking the deserts again. There's a lot of deserts in the States. He comes into this little town because he's looking for he's looking for his half-brother. So he comes to this little town to find his half-brother and he finds out that his half brother's working at this bar in town. Uh, but he, he was working on a farm and so he asks the farmer where his brother was. And the the farmer recognizes him, races ahead into town and goes to the sheriff and says, hey, this guy I recognized from your wanted poster, uh, this is that, that guy that killed that emperor's nephew. And he's going to be at the bar right away so go arrest him and then I want I, I've turned him in, so I want the bounty. So they go to the bar, they get him, they they lock him up, and Sheriff Boggs shoots the farmer. He says, "There's your reward," and he's he's gonna blame it on Kane, and he's gonna shoot Kane and say it's self defense. But Kane actually does get shot, which I was really surprised by. Right. Uh, but he still manages to escape, and he he leaves. But there's this Chinese woman who lives alone in town which to me feels really odd. It is. Okay. So, I mean, like, nowadays, whatever, it's fine, right? But, I mean, in 1860, a Chinese woman living on her own in the Midwest nope. seems like not a very plausible plot point. Not. Okay. I'm glad to know that I'm not alone on that. You to, are to not that. alone. Um, so she takes him in, and then she finds out uh, she goes back in town. She's because she knows who he is as well. She's she's calling her brother. She she goes into town to send a telegram to her own brother. Says come and send help. They're going to turn him in for the reward. Um, and she, she, while he's shot, she's trying to heal him and whatnot. And she puts him in this cave, which is like really nice and has furniture in it for some reason. Yeah, but still a sandy
1: um, floor. So it's but
0: still a sandy floor. <laughs> And as soon as she did that, I'm like, I know exactly where this is going. He's going to be unconscious, and the tide is going to come in and wash it. Well, but that's not what happened at all. So, yeah. um, <laughs> no, that's what I thought was going to happen. I know exactly. Like, what I got this plot is, totally figured out.
1: Wrong.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and anyway, so then the sheriff starts bothering her, wondering why she's sending this message to her brother. Invasion and- of privacy. Yes, invasion of privacy. And her brother shows up, and they are going to take Kane away. However, they get in a gunfight with the sheriff, and her brother dies, and the sheriff gets shot, and...
1: The two helpers run off like cowards.
0: Yeah, they do. They just kind of jet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Cain kisses her and then leaves. Yep. He, like, had sex with her in there.
1: Nope, she was fully clothed. He-
0: yeah, but I mean, like he's like kissing her and stuff by the fire, and I'm like, man, you just got shot.
1: Yeah, well, he's a quick healer, obviously. Plus, mm,
0: you know, geez key, Louise. When
1: he's not going septic, he's a pretty, pretty quick so... healer. <laughs>
0: Anyways, I don't know. There's not. I don't know. I don't have much to say on the episode, the tide itself. I think I don't think it's as good as the pilot, but I thought it was kind of interesting um brandy patrick didn't watch it but that's okay we've all been very busy so we did the best we could uh but brandy what'd you think of the episode the tide
1: well it's you know it's fine it i didn't hate it by any stretch of the imagination but it had a few too many mm, that wouldn't really happen sort of moments for me i mean I, I will allow a lot of creative license but a chinese woman living and on her own in the old west no i i can't buy that one it just wouldn't happen i don't see why her brother would let her do that let's be honest because there there's just a lot of ridiculously archaic family dynamics going on at still at that time in in chinese families even in the united states so i i just can't buy that but the minute he she said you know to jump in the wagon and such and she uh she was driving him off to her home i thought Ah, don't trust this one. Don't trust this one. She looks good, but don't trust her. And then it, it progresses on to the point where I thought, well, maybe I'm wrong. Even after she sends the telegram, I thought, maybe she means something else. Maybe she means she wants to help him escape or something like that. And then I thought, nah, nah, I'm pretty sure she just wants to turn him in. For some reason, she needs that reward money or whatever. And unfortunately... I was right, because I don't read, like, the episode blurbs or anything like that before I watch these things, because I don't want right. to have any kind of bias, so I was uh, I was not surprised, and, and how forgiving he was, I just thought, dude, you are a good man, I mean, jeez Louise, most King. guys would just be like, yeah, most guys would just be like, ah, screw you, I'm out of here, and uh yeah. It was, uh, and he still, he still wanted her to come with him and mm-hmm. she refused, uh, you know, quoting one of her, now we know dead father's lines, She wanted to exchange him for her father who was. Yeah, that's Washington, right. We forgot president.
0: to mention that. That's, that was her justification for yeah. wanting to kidnap, uh, Kane and, and take him in for a ransom is to get rid of her father. Who's this famous writer who was being held hostage, uh, back in China. Yeah, and but we find out he's actually died, and her brother didn't tell her.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And when she no longer needed him, then she's like, "Well, I guess I don't need you, so now you can go."
1: Yeah, well, and the the thing is, she she was conflicted, but in my opinion, not conflicted enough, <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. because
1: even after the whole kissy face, uh, she was still completely committed to turning him in. And mm-hmm. I just I would have liked to have seen more. I don't know, struggling with that decision, (laughs) but it's, uh, it's, it's just kind of, it's kind of sad because that poor boy, you know, he cannot catch a break. (laughs)
0: Well, I thought it was neat that they kept that plot line going through about the bounty on his head. Yes, you know, like that seems like the kind of thing that might get lost in a story, you know, an episodic television series from that time, and you know, to have it play such a central role in this episode, I did think was really neat.
1: Yeah, it does not get lost. It does Mm -hmm. not get lost. It gets even throughout the whole. Yeah. Okay. It gets brought up. So I don't want to spoil anything, but it's something that. Does get touched on many a time because that is the whole reason why he came to America in the first place and now that the you know after we uh, we know that the Emperor now knows where he is after this first episode Mm -hmm. uh, this first pilot episode now that's a problem now he's got to keep moving he's kind of like Bruce Banner in The Incredible Hulk so Mm -hmm. (laughs) anyway except they changed his name to David for the television series and I never (sighs) understood that Anyway.
0: see the um see what i was expecting um like all, up until this point all i knew about kung fu was from pulp fiction like right at the end there when they're sitting at the diner and and uh samuel jackson character's like well i guess i'll be like kane walking the earth and just the way that he said that line and you know this tra- this character change that sam jackson's character had been on in pulp fiction i just assumed that he was like a guy who was going around the earth simply doing good. So these are interesting story asides that, you know, enhanced the Kung Fu story that I didn't know about, right, that I couldn't have known about without watching the show. But I just assumed he was some guy going around. In Canada, we have a show called The Littlest Hobo, where this dog goes around, you know, from village to village, and every episode he's helping different people. I've heard of that. uh, Yeah, and it's a a Canadian-produced show, and I just basically assumed that Kung Fu was you know, the littlest cane hobo or something like that. I don't know, but it's not, it doesn't seem to really be that.
1: (laughs) I love, I love this episode's flashbacks though. Um, because, uh, Kane gets his first tingly feelings, apparently, when he's Mm -hmm. watching, when they're at some sort of festival and he's watching a lady dance. Now, granted, Mm -hmm. she is completely clothed and she looked really familiar to me, but I have not looked up who she was. But I'm like, I know, I know I know her, but I can't figure out where I know her from. And now I'm going to have to look up the actress's name and then I'll be so angry with myself for not remembering um, but also the flashback with James Hong, where he convinces the kids to take a different route and they get mugged because of it. It was a setup and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they're asking Kane, what did you learn? Uh, but they asked him second, <laughs> first guy's like, never trust a stranger. And, <laughs> and then it's just like, oh, it's too bad you went first, buddy because yep. if you'd gone after Kane you could have said oh yeah that was what i learned too uh, that's that's what i learned too is that
0: yeah. always expect the unexpected
1: yeah <laughs> so the one constant is change so mm-hmm. things are always changing but yeah mm-hmm. that i really enjoyed that flashback for that reason because it's a good lesson to learn that you shouldn't mistrust everyone because of one particular situation that happened mm-hmm. to you so
0: you got it excellent right on Patrick do you have any final thoughts on Kung Fu
2: I mean no we covered it all right I, I just I love Kung Fu I love the show for what it did because it didn't just show nonstop stop action like a lot of the, the Kung Fu movies of the times were doing it actually taught you it didn't, may not have taught you but it gave you the insight into the to the lessons that you would learn if you were to truly uh, partake in Kung Fu not just the very Americanized version of let's go learn how to fight and beat people up but the the actual philosophy behind kung fu. So I love that they did that in these sh- in this show and that it continued into uh Kung Fu the Legend Continues because it's it's just not a side you typically see. It's not more people like straight up action. It's just easier to follow for people in general. It's it's more action is is easier to pay attention. And it's it's less thought-provoking. But this really gave you some of the philosophy, which is a lot different than it was being done then. And even still now, you don't get a lot of it in, in terms of kung fu. Like I said, I trained for many years over many disciplines. And karate, ta- uh, taekwondo, they give you a little bit of philosophy, enough to make you think you were learning something, but not a lot. But when I did kung fu, I did it with someone who believed in a well-rounded student, not just a fighting machine, and I learned a lot and had to read a lot and did a lot of homework for some class I was doing three times a week, but it made me a better person, not just a better martial artist.
0: Brandy, any final thoughts?
1: Oh, uh, echoing the sentiments of Patrick, I love Kung Fu, and this has inspired me to actually want to get the whole series and revisit it, because it has been a good... For 35 years since I've watched it. <laughs> so, yeah, no cracks about how young you are, Patrick. And,
2: you, well, um, I'm 35.
1: <laughs> yeah. Let's, you just, let's just, it just not. not my age. No. No. Just no. Just stop. No more. Anyway. So the last
0: time you watched this, Patrick, was in diapause. <laughs> yeah. We're not Diapos. born yet.
1: <laughs> Nappies, as they say in England. Um. Yeah. And I do love the philosophy aspect of it. And my husband, Dave, he likes to do Tai Chi. And there's a lot of philosophy in that as well. And so it's, 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 it's enjoyable for both of us. Because mm-hmm. in, you know, going through the motions of the movements without learning reasons behind them is kind of like just learning half of what it is. So I agree that, you know, it should... Be more well-rounded, like Patrick's instructor was for his kung fu. So, yeah, I uh, I really enjoyed it, and uh, I think I'm gonna watch me some more episodes.
0: Nice, excellent. Yeah, my final thoughts: it was fun. Uh, it was really interesting. It's something I've always been interested to watch. I've just never had the opportunity. I've never had the initiative to check out this show. And now that I have, I think I'm gonna. Uh, I think I'm going to look for a cheap copy of the, maybe a DVD copy, something like that, of the first season and and uh, give it a give it a try and see because you know the tide is from season one. So yeah, I think it was fun. I'm glad that we did it for the show. It was pretty cool. I like it. Yeah. Excellent. Right on. Well, Burning Bridges is not the only thing we've been discussing here on the network this week. So take a listen to this clip and see what else you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.fm, The Orb. All right. And as for Avery Brooks' ability to portray this mirror Cisco in a way that was believable to everyone awesome. else. I mean, it's it just... Awesome. It's his personality. It's yes! Like he's in a way better as a mirror it, than he is yeah. as Prime, right? Continuing mission.
1: I saw his Romulan Stormbird uh, <laughs> ship uh, which is impressive I have to say you know it it's a good be... looking ship yeah yeah it is a good looking ship
2: it's a good looking ship
1: awesome firepower yeah yeah, uh,
2: <laughs> yeah it, 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 it is Starfleet's worst nightmare in our in our film uh, at least until a certain point when Starfleet uh, I guess regroups and makes a comeback and figures out how to, to beat Stormbird
0: to the journey!
1: I think what I love about the Captain Proton sequence is it's such a Tom and Harry bromance thing. It's like Geordie and Data playing Sherlock Holmes on The Next Generation. Mm-hmm. It's so charming. Would you be Captain Proton or would you be Buster Kincaid if we were doing Captain Proton right now? I can't be one of the good guys. I'm sorry.
2: You would be Arachnea. Or no, you would be um, Chaotica.
1: I think I'd be Chaotica's henchman.
2: Oh, okay, yes. I see that.
1: Yeah, because I, I don't want to be the fully evil dude who everybody, everybody's trying to destroy. I want to be the guy behind the evil dude. See, I could totally pop out and go, the jig is up. Yeah, you could. Captain Proton is here. I'd be a great Captain Proton. Oh, no, I saw you more as Buster Kincaid. <laughs> oh, oh, really? I'm a Buster You're Kincaid? A Buster- oh, man. Thanks, Suzanne. <laughs> Isn't that the way of, of things in life? You view yourself as a Captain <laughs> Proton but really you're a Buster Kincaid. <laughs> Standard Orbit.
0: To me, Star Trek history is like North Earth history. It's like, oh yeah, well in 2265 the Enterprise looked like this. That's ridiculous. That'd be like if you make a movie about New York in the 1950s and the World Trade Center is there. Like, oh, well, that's wrong. That's not how it was, you know? But I have to remember
1: that this is fiction
0: and we're all here to have a good time. <laughs> And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts, including the deserts of the middle United States. (laughs) If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they're published. And please leave us a star rating and a written review. With those Chinese stars, those are even better to leave us a review with. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and most third-party apps. And you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link as well.
1: We would love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place, of course, is to join in the larger conversation in the Babel Conference, which is our listeners' group on Facebook Just go to the search field and type Babel, B-A-B-E-L. You should know how to spell that by now, guys. And it should come right up. It'll probably be the first or second result, in fact. But if you'd like to send us an email instead, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. All you need to do is choose to send to a show and select Warp 5, and that will come right to us. You can also find the network on Twitter at Trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm.
0: Well, Brandy, where can people find you when you're not selling out your friends for a turkey leg?
1: Mm, Those sweet, sweet turkey legs, man. They're so good when they're fresh. Um, You can find me uh, lurking in the Babel Conference. Um, I don't have as much time to do that lately, but I still lurk from time to time. And you can also find me on Twitter at BrandyWine12. The Brandy is spelled with an I, and 12 is a number. And you can find me popping up from time to time on the 602 Club now. Um, Yeah, I'm going to actually have two episodes in a row coming out. Oh, my goodness. So uh, keep an ear out for that. And my husband and I do our own podcast together called The Dark Corner Podcast, which uh, we, we've now got our own subdomain. You can still find us on strangeanddeadly.com or anywhere you can get podcasts. But soon you will be able to just go to thedarkcornerpodcast.com and find us that way as well. That is coming very, 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 very soon.
0: Excellent. Patrick? Where can people find you when you're not burning your forearms on a metal fireplace?
2: So when I'm not setting my arms on fire to give myself a, a nice dragon and, uh, and tiger, they can find me hanging out in the Babel Conference, pop my head up in there once in a while. I'm also on Twitter at MagicDrop5. That's uh, one word. It's uh, Magic Drop is obviously letters. Five is, though, a number. And you can also find me, and recently you can now find me over hosting The Edge with uh, my friend Amy. And uh, that's that's the, the places you can check me out. I am now almost as busy as you guys. So, mm. unlike what I've been saying for weeks, I am almost as busy now. So, Brendan, where can people find you when you're not trying to keep from spilling your Kool-Aid while throwing a guy into a table?
0: Uh, I fail at that miserably, and I usually spill it all over myself. But you can find me on Twitter, at Brandon Metella. You can find me... Uh, over on the Fandom Podcast Network with my friends Chris and Tom where we cover Hitchcock movies on our podcast called Good Evening, an Alfred Hitchcock podcast and that's it, I'm just doing these two podcasts right now because I passed my baton over to you Patrick for The Edge so I'm no longer hosting The Edge in case for those listeners who haven't heard um, so we should talk about our next couple episodes here. Um, we don't know yet what we're doing for episode 150. Uh, next week, we're going to be doing a commentary for the episode Extinction. <laughs> the week after that, we have uh, Zombies. And I will have a lot
2: more time for The Edge after I rage quit in the middle of that episode. <clears throat>
0: We have Keith the Candido and Zombies, where we're, we're talking fusion and zombies the week after that. And then the, episode 149, we're doing another movie night, uh, Frankenstein, the original one. So they do mention all three of the Frankensteins, Bride of Frankenstein, and uh, I think the third one, Son of Frankenstein, but we're going to be covering each of those movies individually uh, because it's fun yeah. and we like doing it. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so listeners, uh, we're, we're having fun with our movie nights and I hope you're enjoying them. End, um, we're excellent.
2: A little, since we're a little short on on uh, we don't know what we're going to do for 150. That's a big one. Uh, throw down some ideas if there's something you guys want to hear in the Babel Conference and we'll see if we can hit it.
0: Sure. And then I think 151 we'll hit up with our next set of the uh, Season 4 Retrospective with the, uh, I think it's the Augments Trilogy is what's next. Yep. So that's, we'll do that after for 151. So that's our next few episodes up and coming here for you. Um, excellent. Excellent.
2: If you'd like to help us keep all of your shows coming to us each week, you can become a patron on the network on Patreon. Visit Patreon.com slash TrekFM. That's Patreon, patreo dot TrekFM. To get all the details, perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more. Available through our special patrons website, patron Zone. It's, it requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm.
0: At this time, we'd like to thank our wonderful associate producers, Norman C. Lau, Floyd Dorsey, Mike Morrison, Tim Cooper, Justin Ozer, Mark Flessa, and Joe Saltzman. Thank you so much for supporting Trek FM as a whole and Warp 5 in particular. We really appreciate it. We couldn't do do it without you. We couldn't release all these wonderful shows without you. Uh, well, I guess that's about it. So until next time, keep calm and boom on.